Cole on drums, right? Great job. Bless you guys. Well, open your Bibles. I have a lot of little verses we're going to look at, but open, if you would, with me to Luke chapter 1 and Acts chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, Acts chapter 1. In fact, uh, I want to start really a four-week uh, teaching series on called Actions. I want us to look at what happened in that early church after the resurrection of Jesus. And I've kind of called today, the mission is possible. I think that's what we're going to see uh, with these apostles and new believers, even when they're persecuted, uh, they're still bold and they're still preaching the name of Jesus. But let me read the two scriptures that uh, we start out with, or at least one we've been starting out with each week. And I, but I want to read two, Luke chapter 6, verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. That's been my prayer this year, that we would hunger and thirst for his righteousness. There'd be a hunger and a thirst in us for him. And then John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, which they just really sang this verse. On the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood up, and he cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet Glorified. That's an important verse to remember in a few minutes when we look at another scripture where Jesus breathed on them. So we have, we hunger and thirst for righteousness, but we also know this, that he wants us to never thirst again. Now we all go through those dry times, don't we, spiritually? But that's where we got to get back to the well, back to the fountain to refresh ourselves. So I won't tell all the story, but, but part of it, because you know when God's working and you're reading these things as we've been reading John over and over and over and over again. You know, we were, um, we were going to sell Michelle's car. We just didn't have a plan on when to do it. The warranty had come about up. We just had $10,000 in free warranty work done on it. So for me, it was just time to sell it. We didn't have a sign, just had talked about it. Didn't have a date. So she's picking up my son from working out and a guy drives by and he says, is that your, she has that little white Lexus, is that your car? Yeah, is it for sale? And she said, um, yes and no, yes and no. Well, uh, you know, we weren't thinking, we want to sell it. Well, uh, who should I talk to? Well, let me have you call my husband. So anyways, I talked to this guy, and he wants it like that day. So later he comes over to the house, and uh, uh, he, he had let us know, I'll tell this another time, it's a crazy story. He said, you know, uh, my wife prayed 20 minutes before your car. She wanted that exact car. So then I'm wondering, okay, we haven't negotiated yet on price, right? So I was thinking, you know, I, I might have been born at night, but it wasn't last night, right? I'm kind of up on them. Anyways, we're sitting at our, our table, and uh, we're talking a little bit about the car. But then he says, can I ask you, you guys are Christians, right? And I said, yes. Uh, and he said, um, I'm reading uh, John chapter 4. The woman at the well. So Michelle and I look at each other, we start laughing. And uh, I said, well, actually, we're 
pastors. You're pastors? I said, yeah. Well, I'm reading this, and, and, and I'm reading about that she'll never thirst again, that he has this water that she'll draw. And he says, and I figured out that the water that he's talking about is when the soldier took the spear and pierced Jesus in the side, and out of his heart, blood and water flowed. And, you know, so I'm trying, I don't know this guy, right? So how, how do you tell him, no, that's completely wrong, right? You're, so we, I said, no, let, let's talk a little bit about this. So we went through John 14, 15, 16, you know, talking about the living water, talking about it's the Holy Spirit coming out. And so we sat there for a little while, and I'm thinking, wait, i got to sell this car, I guess, tonight. Um, he ends up being related to Sam. <laughs> true i'll tell the story another time it's a crazy story um but here's what i thought as we're reading these things it's not for you it's that people come across your path at the craziest times and i think that's what we see in the book of acts uh they were just kind of going out about their day and these situations came upon them but they were ready because they had been filled with that spirit and it's becoming and then something that it's something that you give away, right? So God wants these to happen. It doesn't just happen at a pastor's house around a table. It's to happen wherever you are. That's the importance that we see in the book of Acts. It's almost like Jesus unleashes these apostles to go do what they've been watching him doing. But he had to tell them, right, to go. So I want to look at a few verses. I want to go to Luke chapter 1. Because uh, the, the guy that wrote Acts is Luke, is Luke, and he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. So I just want to read the first few verses in Luke chapter 1. Luke is a physician, and so whenever I read Luke and I read Acts, and you're going to notice this, you know, doctors are into details, and you can kind of tell that Luke is into the details that the Holy Spirit takes that personality part of him. And so he's writing down all of these little details. But look at the first four verses in Luke. This is kicking off his, uh, the Gospel of Luke. Inasmuch as many have taken into hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered to them, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all the things from the very first, to write to you an accordingly account, you new believers in Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that, does it? <laughs> it says, to write an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Now turn with me to the book of Acts, and let's look at the first couple verses there, and we'll see first of what um, Luke is trying to do here in this. So verse, in fact, let's read the first three verses. Luke, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. In fact, if you have your Bible, I would underline the word began. That's a great way to start because what Jesus began, it never stopped. It's continually going with our story. 
His ministry is continuous. It's going. So he says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days of speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit allows Luke, in the Gospel of Luke and Acts, to write to this person named Theophilus, who we really don't know anything about. People have tried to guess who he is. Some guess that maybe Luke, the physician, really was um, working for this person, Theophilus. The only thing that we can probably guess the most, he uses the word most excellent. So we, we could probably are safe to say this person had to be high up somewhere in the Jewish community, possibly in the synagogue. But his name is interesting because his name means lover of God or friend of God. It almost reminds me a little bit of Nicodemus in John 3, where he comes to Jesus at night and wants to know to be born again. But the Holy Spirit allows him to put this name in there. So I wonder if Luke also had that heart that he wanted this person to so know about what Jesus did that he would write him in two of his writings so that this person would understand the accounts of what Jesus did. I stopped there and I thought, uh, I need to have somewhere in my Bible written a name of somebody like a Theophilus in my life that doesn't know or hasn't had their eyes open, but it's something that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes to see and to know. Because as we know, life is so short and Jesus has so much more that he wants to show people because as we read in Acts 1.1, of all that Jesus began to do, of all that he did. And I think that's a key word here in the Gospel of Luke because the beginning of Jesus's ministry continues. Here's what he's doing today. He's still ministering to the needs of the people. He's still healing bodies. He's still restoring broken places. He still wants to minister the gospel all the way around the world, whoever doesn't know. He wants to reach them in the villages. He wants to reach them in the town, in the skyscrapers, and in the mountains or by the sea. He wants that message. So it began, it didn't stop. There's not a period behind his ministry. There's probably a dot, dot, dot. It's continuing to go. But he now wants these disciples, apostles, anointed with the Holy Spirit to be bold to go out and do this work, continuing with those signs. Now, John 20, verse 22, this is an interesting verse because this is towards the end and Jesus does this situation, says this, and when he had done this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, I want you to find somebody sitting next to you. You're going to, no, you're not going to breathe on them. That would be, uh, um, that's like interfering in the safe space, right? Uh, but Jesus does something. 
And he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. But at that point, they didn't receive the Holy Spirit. They had not yet accepted or believed that he was the Son of God, confessed him as Lord, seen the resurrected Jesus, or as we read earlier, he had not yet been glorified. But I believe he gave a visual example of the events that would take place in the book of Acts. In fact, this Greek word here, um, to receive the Holy Spirit, is the only place in the New Testament that we get that one word. And so they weren't yet filled with the Spirit, but it was that visual example of that mighty rushing wind. You know what morning breath is like? It's like a mighty torrent, no, rushing <laughs> hurricane. You know, what happens through the night? Right? Then all of a sudden, you, why can't it be like puppy breath, you know, in the morning? No, he gives them this example. And it's an example that I believe is a visual of what is to come. But in Acts 1.15, we won't look at the verse, Acts 1.15, in the upper room of all the people that Jesus ministered, there's only 120 people. So I tried to go through. I tried to get a good estimate, and I, I couldn't figure it out. I was trying to get a good estimate of every person Jesus contacted or talked to. Every crowd, every multitude, every best guess that Bible scholars and archaeologists had of the population of that day and if he would have been there. And I, I, you can't come up with a solid good number, but here's what we can say. He touched thousands upon thousands of people in just teaching. In the feeding, he touched 5,000 men plus women and children. Uh, we know even at, at, at the time of Palm Sunday, that the thousands, in fact, even maybe hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem for Passover. So there's a great potential that all these people saw or heard or uh, listened to his teaching or were healed or something. And yet, when he wants to start the ministry, there's only 120. Where's everybody else? In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15:6, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep, some have passed away. So he appeared to over 500 after he had resurrected, but in the upper room, there's only 120. And I love what God always does, and he, he does funny, fuzzy math, because he's into subtraction first, right? He likes to take things away. Gideon, you have too many people. Wait, wait, we got this big battle coming up. Yeah, you got too many, so we're going to have a couple tests here, right? Anybody that's chicken and doesn't want to fight, go home. Oh, then you guys take off and they leave. And then there's the water test. He always does subtraction first, but then it's like he misses addition and then he jumps to multiplication. That's what we kind of see even in the books of Acts. So there's only 120, and none of them are discouraged because they know why they're there, they're to wait. We'll look at that in just a minute. So we know that uh, in Acts, though the Holy Spirit uses Luke to write it, Colossians 4.14 says that Luke was called the beloved physician. So we can kind of get a picture that possibly Luke may have joined Paul at some time, or was around Paul's ministry, he was still called the beloved physician. He's also mentioned with somebody else. So he was out about doing good as well too. 
But here's what I, I think is important when we look at his writing. You can't be used by him if you don't believe he's alive. So there were many people that probably saw or were a part of what he did, they just didn't believe. But the ones that believed were the ones that God used and would use them again in different situations. And so let's go to, um, let me skip down. I'm going to go to, let's go to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 1 through 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Everybody say wait. wait. That's their first assignment, right? Jesus is getting ready to go up. Your first assignment is to wait. wait I'm ready to go, right? No, 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 you need to wait. I don't like to wait. Wait, right? So you're going to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? In fact, I put down here, I just put a big question by verse 6, because he just told them to wait. And one of them wants to know if the kingdom's going to get restored. Is this like, in a few days, is this all going to get wrapped up? You know, I mean, how long, how long do we have? To, is, this, is your kingdom coming back? How long, how's this going to work? So Jesus says in verse 7, And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let me read verse 8 again. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I wrote this, if, if I haven't had you do this before, um, Jerusalem is like my hometown, my home area. Samaria is the, a county. It was a cross-cultural area. It'd be a county, like we would say L.A. County. Um, we also know this, he says, you're going to be in J Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth, right? All around the world. So not only at home, not only in a, a cross-cultural section, maybe another county, but all the way around the world, you'll be a witness to me. That's what he's saying to them. You'll be a witness to me. They're just trying to figure out if this thing all gets wrapped up in three or four days, right? But he's talking to them about that he began. Dot, dot, dot. Still going, still continuing. I remember when I told my grandfather that I was going to go to Bible college. And he was always a straight to the point, you know, and 
I was coming out of the police academy. And so he looked at me and he says, now do you wear a robe and a big uh, rope belt? <laughs> he was being sarcastic. But I remember kind of feeling, right? You ever had somebody say something to you and you're trying to do something for God and say, are you going to wear like one of them long robes and a big rope belt? Are you going to wear sandals? Are you barefoot? Are you going to chant at the hill? You know, he would just, he was the type he'd say those things. You know, sometimes the hardest people even to minister to are your own hometown, right? Even in your own household. I know my kids have plenty of stories probably about me. Where I've thrown the couch at them. No, I'm just kidding. I know. They probably have plenty of stories. Dad, dad said this, dad did that. We all have that in our families, don't we? Everybody, look at somebody, if you have family, look at you and say, I got a story on you, right? I got a story on you, it'll be a great novel, it'll be a bestseller on the New York Times, bestseller. It's hard to sometimes minister at home. It's always easier somewhere else. But here's what he said, you'll be a witness in your own hometown. Because it's not going to be about you, it's going to be about me. It's not going to be about what you've done or what you think you're going to do. It's going to be about me. You're going to witness about me. And that's what unlocks the hearts. That's what causes people to hunger for that bread of life. And that's what causes people to thirst for that living water. Because it's not about you. It's all about him. He's the testimony. And he's what the book of Acts is letting us know. So I want to look at um, two other things here. So turn with me to Acts 1 verse 15. So the assignment from Jesus is to wait, right? To wait. So we pick up in verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120 and said, Men and brethren, this scripture has been fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open into the middle, and all of his entrails gushed out. Don't you love some of the Bible? The entrails. Right? He just put his guts all came out. The entrails. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language, uh, Achaiel Dama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of the men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed to. John called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, you who know the hearts of all, Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. 
Now, I wanted to bring that out because I think there was still that part that they were to wait. And Peter, it is the excitement and knowing the Old Testament. In fact, that last verse said, uh, one should take his place. Maybe Peter didn't like odd numbers, right? I don't like when we go out to eat and there's six and five. I like it better when it's six and six, right? I like the 12. 12 sounds better, right? 12 fits better around. No, we, just, we don't know why he felt it was time to appoint somebody, right? We're missing somebody on this team and we need to replace them. And we're going to do it by casting the short straw. Now, if you read the book of Proverbs, that was something they did back in Bible times. They would draw lots. They would do the short straw. Well, it falls on Matthias. But, you know, it's interesting with Matthias, we're not told anything else about him. The Bible doesn't reference him in Acts. He doesn't write a book. He doesn't do anything else. In fact, you would think that in Luke, in all of his thoroughness, and wanting to capture everything right, that he would, oh, I caught Matthias the other day. He was talking to somebody, right? Just kind of write him in there so we'd see him doing. There's, there's nothing mentioned him. But here's what we know. He took over this apostolic position, and we know that he submitted himself to do so, not knowing all of the future that it would, would represent. But I find it interesting that Saul becomes Paul after Acts chapter 9, and could that have been the one that was supposed to take the place, and yet they decided not to wait, but to sometimes do what they do. You, right? We lean to our own understanding. Were they to wait? Was it a wrong decision? No, he wanted to appoint somebody. But though his ministry never received any recognition, what the Bible says about people is unimportant to the message of the Bible, which is about Jesus. It shouldn't be about our name. It should be about what he is doing in and through the lives of people. Here's the great thing that we see about Matthias. Though. He responded to the call. He took the pressure, took the advantage, because let me tell you, uh, in just a few chapters when you read later, you walk out of church and there's a guy out there and beats you up, right? Did you say, geez, did you say, did you raise your hands today? Oh, come here, right? Boom, 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 right? You go home beat up. That, that's how it was. So he at least accepts the call. But I wonder if there's something in there for all of us today to say, you know, there's times for us to wait, to listen to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. Not to lean on our own understanding. Not to jump. And let me tell you, we're to be anxious for Nothing, right? But by everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Our, let our requests be made known to God. And there's a time to wait. There's a time to be patient. There's a time to be still. And that's the biggest struggle sometimes we have, the waiting, 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 because we want to run, 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 right? As fast as we can go. But there's a time to wait. And we see that even in here with Jesus. He wants everybody to wait. Because there's something coming. There's a reason why he wants to wait before he starts his ministry. And then in Acts chapter 5, I just want to look at a few verses here. Verse 33. Acts chapter 5, uh, verse 33. Now, uh, I always say his name wrong. Pronounce his name wrong. Gam Gamamiel. Gamamiel. 
He's the one that we'll mention here in the Bible that is mentoring Saul, right? That becomes Paul. Saul, he's grooming to take his place. Saul is the up-and-coming guy. So when we read this guy, this, this is the leader of leaders that knows uh, their doctrine of the time, is overseeing the, the synagogue. So it says this in verse 33. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them, talking about the apostles as they were preaching about Jesus. Then one of the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamamel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all of the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thedius rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. Look at verse 39. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you be found to fight against God. So here's somebody that's a Pharisee of that time, doesn't believe in Jesus, but has enough to say, but if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And they had called for the apostles and beaten them and commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And so they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. What would it be like on a Sunday if it was just known you're going to get beat up today at your car? Man, I feel, Bob, I feel really bad today. You know, uh, I'll call you later and pray for you, right? You can repeat. That's a good message. Go ahead and repeat it. I feel, you know, wouldn't that be terrible? But what did they do after they were beaten up? They rejoiced, right? That they were even in the accompaniment of Jesus. It didn't matter to them the trials. It didn't hold them back that they were not to preach. You know, we have nations today that wouldn't allow us, wouldn't allow you to gather like this, to have a Bible out, to worship. You'd have to do it in a basement, have to do it in a house, have to do it at night somewhere. At least we're free to do so at this time. We're not persecuted. But that early church that saw persecution only inspired that word of God to grow. Think about this, though. Someone might fight it, oppress it, doubt it, ban it, make fun of it, but you'll never stop the ministry of Jesus. It'll never stop. Someone might stop. But God's going to find somebody else, right, that'll pick it up and go. But the most important part is, have you waited on the instructions that he has to do? Because you're not going to stop what he wants 
to do. Because he's going to do it because his ministry began, dot, 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 and it's continuing to go. Bow your heads if you would with me today. Father, I pray today that we would be like Matthias. That we would respond to your words, to your call. That we wouldn't be afraid to have conversations to connect with your people. That would be, we would be open even in the midst of when it doesn't seem right. You have some way or something that you want to use us at a particular time, particular place, to say something to somebody we might not ever see again, but you wanted us there because you needed somebody there. And we said yes. But Father, I pray in the, the promises that you placed in our heart that we would also take those words of what Jesus said. Sometimes there's so much wisdom in just waiting that if I can just be patient and wait and trust him in the process, he's making the crooked places straight on my behalf. He's working in ways I don't see but I trust him because he can do the work. I'm just not to worry. I'm not to waver. I'm not to try to help him figure out what he's going to do. I'm to trust and I'm to believe him. He's God and I'm not. He sees everything from his eternal position. I see what's right in front of me. And so you know what? What's right in front of me, God, I'm going to trust you today. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. And it's a light unto my path. David said, oh, how I love your law. I meditate it every day. Lord, I, I pray that even in our reading, that in our waiting, in our trusting, in our connecting, that it comes from you. Because nobody can stop it, bind it, break it, oppress it, hide it, ban it, or do anything that will stop it. It will continue to go. We want to be in the go flow with you. And we bless you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Stand up. Let's worship together with this last song.